Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, February 14th, marks our 90th program, and I'd be remiss if I didn't wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day. Uh, my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, HCC's NED, Improving Physician Documentation. So I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left of your screen there. We have with us Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI Education Director here for us at Actus in Middleton. She's the developer and lead instructor for our uh, Actus Boot Camp line and has been busily working behind the scenes on some bootcamp updates and a second edition of our CDI Specialist Complete Training Guide, and I'm glad to have her on the show. So welcome, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. All right. And next, I'd like to introduce our two industry guests today. So we have with us uh, Brett Senior. Senior, excuse me. <laughs> I'll get that right by the end of the show, Brett. Uh, Brett is a physician associate for Enjoin, where he provides guidance and support for our CDI quality initiatives and their MSDRG assurance programs. Uh, Dr. Senior is board certified in internal medicine and has served as a hospitalist and physician advisor for a large metropolitan healthcare system in North Carolina. In his current role with Enjoin, he assists in the development of content for CDOCT, which is a web-based resource tool to define and capture conditions impacting hospital quality measures. He does a lot with risk adjustment. He's gonna be talking about that topic today, obviously, and I'm glad to have him on. So welcome to the program, Brett. Well, thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be working with both you and Lori. Awesome. All right, and we also have with us today Brett's colleague, Sonia Trapina. Uh, Sonia uh, is the Director of Ambulatory CDI Services, also for Enjoin. She has over 20 years of experience in program development and management with 14 years specific to the healthcare revenue cycle. Um, as director, Sonia leads ambulatory CDI services, again for Enjoin, which include risk adjustment documentation opportunities, facilitating strategic planning between health systems and physician practices, and developing operational processes to support the capture of risk adjustment documentation, docu uh, risk adjustment documentation, excuse me. And I'm very glad to have her on as well. So welcome to the program, Sonia. Thank you, Brian and Lori. Glad to be here. All right. Well, as we do with every show, we're going to start with a survey question related to today's topic. Um, this particular question we did ask back in January 2016. So after you've taken this poll question and we come back to it and analyze the results, I'm also going to share the results from that show. Uh, two years ago, and we'll see how the, the data trends over time. But we're asking you, does your CDI program assist with HCC's review? And your options are yes. We have CDI specialists that do this full-time. Yes, we have CDI specialists that do this part-time. Uh, no, but our HIM coding professionals review. No, our facility does not get paid under this model. Or maybe you don't know. 
Again, does your CDI program assist with HCC's review? Uh, yes, with full-time CDI. Yes, with part-time CDI. No, use HIM coding professionals to perform these this review. Uh, no, facility does not get paid under this model. Or uh, don't know. All right, we've got about two-thirds of our audience voting. A few more votes coming in, so I'm going to give you one more second to complete that poll. Great. All right, we'll go ahead and close that out, and we will um, come back to that in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, I guess today are Brett and Sonia. Thanks for being on the program, guys, and being a part of Actus Radio. Um, you know, this show came about as the result of a detailed question from an Actus Radio listener, and so I do want to just thank our audience for continuing to send me these questions. They're, they really are serving as the basis for future shows, so thank you for the uh, listener who provided this question. But before I get to that, I thought we could, um, I'll ask our host to provide, um, excuse me, our guest to provide a brief explanation of what an HCC is and, and how it works. Sonia, did you want to start with taking this one? Sure, I'll start. So HCC stands for Hierarchical Condition Categories, and it's a risk adjustment methodology. It's used broadly and probably more broadly than people realize. It's used as a payment methodology for Medicare Advantage programs, as an example. It's also used for patient population benchmarking in the ACO environment. And also, 80% of HCCs are also condition categories, which are used as a risk adjustment methodology for quality programs, like the readmissions reduction program, as an example. So basically, HCCs are a statistical process used to identify and adjust for variations in patient outcomes that stem from differences in their patient characteristics across the health organization. It's basically a methodology attempting to level the playing field by defining individual patient variables. So how does it work? Uh, this could be a 10-minute discussion, but I will boil it down to about a minute um, overview. There are a few variances in HCC-like methodologies. There are the HHS HCCs for commercial payers, there are RX HTCs for payers and medications, and there are the CMS HTCs, which may be the most well-known of the HTC types. For the purposes of demonstrating how it works, I will address the CMS HTCs with a Medicare Advantage plan. So basically, in a Medicare Advantage program, a patient is given a risk score, and that score is multiplied by a per member per year dollar, similar to a DRG weight multiplied by the blended weight blended rate on the hospital side. The Medicare Advantage budget is based on the sum of the patients, and they have that pool of money to take care of the patient for the year. So it's really important to get that risk score or that weight correct because it's used prospectively for budgeting purposes. So given the risk score is so important, I wanted to just explain the components that go into that risk score. It includes a weight based on demographics, so age, sex, county, state, a weight based on Medicare eligibility, ESRD, dual eligible, original, reasonable, original um, reason for entitlement, as an example. And then what's key to this group is that the diagnoses connected to the HCCs have a weight and are added to that total 
um, total risk score. So we won't have time to go into all of the elements of how those diagnoses create that weight, like hierarchies are taken into consideration, uh, conditions are trumped, so that's an important element to understand. There's disease interactions that go into play into that risk score. Uh, but the takeaway is that for CDI purposes, it's important to capture all those applicable diagnoses, especially the ones that link to HCCs, and at the most appropriate level of specificity, because those conditions are summed to a degree and added to the other elements that I've, that I've mentioned to create that full risk score. So that's the quick down and dirty of HCCs and how it works. Good Great. job, Tanya. I was, I was listening to you thinking you just summed up our three-day risk adjustment boot camp in two minutes. <laughs> you did great. Um, Brett, the um, person that um, sent us this topic to discuss was specifically, um, she had a question related to emergency department physicians and how to get them to document better within the record, which I think is a challenge that a lot of organizations are facing. Um, the question specifically read, the ER docs don't always address the chronic illnesses that support this HCC assignment. What we want to get them to understand is that any lab or radiology they perform or assessment of the patient that may be related to these diagnoses gets documented correctly for the HCC capture. Do you have any advice on how to communicate this to the physicians? Uh, I sure do. And uh, But first, I wanted to just uh, thank the listener for bringing this up because the ED is frequently overlooked. And it turns out that they are the primary healthcare providers for a lot of patients, particularly those uh, that are uh, termed frequent flyers. So what ED providers need to understand is that they have to, and this is based on ICD-10 uh, guidelines, they should document all conditions that coexist at the time of the encounter that re uh, require or affect patient care, treatment, or management. Now, to do this, uh, both ED physicians and advanced practitioners in the ED ought to understand the importance of a few different things. First, if they can be educated to uh, really recognize commonly encountered acute and chronic comorbid conditions that they frequently will see in the ED uh, that are uh, potential HCCs, that's step one. Secondly, they need to also understand the language that is necessary to capture specificity of these, uh, of these conditions. And then thirdly, and this is actually a part of the framework of the HCC model, in order to make a condition HCC eligible, you need to somehow show that you have either monitored, evaluated, assessed, or treated that condition. And that's, we uh, uh, refer to that as the meet criteria. And I thought that maybe, Lori, I would give an example just to kind of help people to understand this further. So let's look at one of those frequent flyers. Let's say that this patient is a 70-year-old female who uh, has type 2 diabetes, presents with, uh, let's say, a, a twisted right ankle. She's having a lot of pain. It causes her to limp when she walks. Well, the ED provider uh, does an assessment and says, yeah, this patient doesn't need to be admitted. Let's just discharge her on ibuprofen. But uh, to do uh, due diligence, he looks at the medical record and sees, oh, wait a second here. This patient who's been here many times has a creatinine that is consistently around 2.2 and a creatinine clearance that's about 27. That actually, uh, and, and if, if this is going on for longer than three months, that patient meets the definition for CKD stage four. 
Well, uh, a part of the due diligence, again, the uh, provider in the ED uh, looks and finds, oh, this patient actually was seen by a primary care provider two years ago who documented diabetic nephropathy with renal insufficiency. Now, as those, of, uh, those people in the audience that are uh, familiar with uh, CDI encoding, I'm sure that uh, everybody just got a little anxious when they heard that term. This patient has chronic kidney disease. So there's three different ways that uh, I'll, I'll kind of discuss about capturing meet criteria for CKD stage four in this record. And so this is meeting one of those components of meat. So you can do it with a new lab check, for instance. So you get a basic metabolic profile, serum creatinine, let's say was 2.3, so maybe slightly up from previously. You have now shown that you have addressed that CKD. But it doesn't take lab to do it. And I'm gonna show you two different ways where you can capture it even in the absence. Now, number one, the, if the provider says, I have reviewed this record and uh, you know, found that uh, you know, creatinines in the past have been elevated and it's been the patient's been documented to have chronic kidney disease, uh, that can meet it too. You've addressed it that way. Secondly, for this patient that, let's say the primary care provider was going to boot this patient out with ibuprofen, if after noting this severe CKD, the patient says, you know, we're not going to go with ibuprofen here. We're going to go with the acetaminophen and oxycodone. Well, then that CKD has absolutely influenced the treatment plan. So if a provider can kind of their thinking down into the ink and you know, into, the, into writing, that's very, very helpful. So now where an average ED provider might have just documented, let's say, an acute right lateral ankle sprain, a more astute ED provider will recognize that both the diabetes and the CKD have had impact here. And so they will add in CKD stage four and diabetes mellitus type two with nephropathy or similar wording. When they've done that, they have now, the ED provider has captured two independent and additive HCCs, the type two diabetes with renal complication and CKD stage four. Now, if this patient was a Medicare Advantage patient, this would actually help to increase her budget allocation the following year, which could help to get her plugged in with uh, appropriate outpatient resources, and then hopefully eventually decrease the number of future returns to the ED. That is that a perfect example. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, so just to you know to tack on to that, this the, the person had a second half of the question, and that, that was a great explanation. Um, so they, they also wrote, um, while providing the HCC information, we will also provide them, meaning the physician, uh, education on making sure their documentation is complete and meets the medical necessity elements of the patient's visit. So just sort of tying all this together, getting physicians to document, not just for the narrow parameters of HCC capture, which are important, and obviously those diagnoses, but, but you know, the bigger picture of medical necessity for the stay, if they are admitted, um, any, any advice on that angle? Sure, and uh, I guess you could look at the medical necessity piece uh, a few different ways. Um, I, I can kind of think of three. You, know, you can talk about the medical necessity for tests, the medical necessity to demonstrate right. inpatient status, or thirdly, even the medical necessity to support an E&M level. Um, I don't know if you have any particular uh, desire to hear about any one of those in particular, or I can quickly address all three. Hmm. You know, I, we, we've heard a lot about, I think, about inpatient admission criteria over the years, but 
maybe maybe tied into E and M or um, maybe some of the testing that we've sure. talked about or you've mentioned okay. on the show. Sure. Yeah. So so let's let's start with the medical necessity for the tests that are ordered. Now, uh, obviously, uh, clinicians in the ED need to understand both the local and national coverage determinations and the specific criteria around those, and, and to try and uh, so they can understand the language necessary to link diagnoses to symptoms or to capture uh, or or diagnoses. So either diagnoses or or symptoms. Uh, they become necessary to capture that medical necessity. So let's take our diabetic patient again. You know, ordering a basic metabolic profile uh, with a reason being uh, the patient's CKD uh, and diabetes, then that is likely going to uh, satisfy the medical necessity for that particular test. And then when that happens, again, that basic metabolic profile will in turn support the fact that we've, uh, ev you know, we've evaluated and addressed the uh, CKD and the diabetes. So turning to the E&M piece of this, you know, when we create uh, these, these uh, links that, uh, you know, where you're, you're linking meet criteria to diagnosis and you're showing that you've addressed, you know, multiple aspects, instead of this patient just having that sprain address, they have addressed a much more medically complex patient. When you get that into the writing, you can quickly and appropriately turn, let's say, a minor 99281 into a much more strongly supported higher E&M level. So there's a lot of interplay amongst um, medical necessity and HCCs. One can really feed the other. All right. Really appreciate that, Brett. And that, that does answer the uh, this, this folks' final question there. And again, pre really appreciate those coming from the audience. I know, I know we're getting a little tight on time here, as we always do on Actus Radio, but maybe we could wrap up with just a brief, um, you know, if, if folks are interested in getting started in this area, you know, maybe they have a Medicare Advantage contract. Um, and I've actually, you know, some folks that have realized they've had some of these contracts without really knowing about it or knowing where to start. Do, do you have any advice just for getting started? maybe just a tool or a, or a tip or takeaway from the show in terms of assessing risk and opportunity um, that, they, that they may have in the outpatient setting? Yes, um, Brian, this is um, Sonia speaking. Actually, I have a couple different suggestions for the group, and analytics is always a great first step. And in the ED, a place to look first, maybe at that frequent flyer data and that population. Looking at the data and doing a documentation review on that population can be a very impactful first step. Those patients who are the frequent flyers could be accounting for higher levels of cost and resource utilization, and maybe there's another answer for them. Maybe they shouldn't be coming through to the ED. So getting that full picture of your frequent flyer patient population is important as you move towards value-based payment models, and that's an important thing to realize, to think a little bit differently around um, uh, CDI and how it can support that movement towards the future. So one of the questions um, to ask in the ED is, are we capturing the codes that help explain the social determinants, like homelessness and illiteracy, and the behavioral factors also? Those are all incredibly important in the ED for population health management and value-based care. Today, the social determinant codes don't tie to HCCs, but in an era of population health management, it's becoming more important to capture um, those codes, and it's a way that CDI teams can support their population health team 
since it really boils down to that documentation and that code capture. And that's a very great first step in supporting efforts to decrease unnecessary ED utilization. So a little bit of a different way to think about it, but wanted to throw that out to the group as we move towards value-based care, that it really is about that patient and looking at things a little bit differently. Now, if folks have the frequent flyer piece under control and they've analyzed that and they've, um, you know, through the data and through the research, implemented some care coordination programs, which I've seen um, happen in some organizations. So a next step would, again, to use the analytics and look at the Medicare Advantage population. MA programs are not going away, um, so if you use that as a group to analyze the data and conduct chart reviews there, again, look to see what's missing in those records for those patients and look for those trends around physician education and any process or template changes that are needed in your organization. So those are a couple of quick ideas. Thanks. Awesome. Really appreciate that, Sonia. I think that hopefully gives our listeners a place to start. And uh, I love the frequent flyer angle as well as there has been a lot of discussion about um, social determinants of health. And, and we've seen some commentary to CMS about incorporating improving models that, that, that include that because it's such a, a huge piece of healthcare expenditures. So hopefully the uh, HCC model will adjust as we go along. So Really appreciate your, your time on this. I'm going to go ahead and share our uh, poll results with our audience, and people should be seeing that on the screen about now. Again, we asked, uh, does your CDI program assist with HCC's review? So some data here. We have 12% that do this with uh, CDI specialists in a full-time capacity. Another 10% are doing this with CDI uh, part-time. 21% have their HIM coding professionals doing this. 22% uh, no, our facility does not get paid under this model. And 36% say they don't know. Um, so again, I promised that I would bring up the data from our 2016 show, so I'm gonna verbalize that. 2016, 9% were doing this full-time uh, with CDI and 6% doing it part-time. So we've seen We've seen some growth in the last two years, you know, 3% uh, more growth full-time and 4% more part-time. Uh, HIM coding stayed the same at 21%. So this is still, you know, I have an area that a lot of hospitals are leveraging their coding departments to do these type of reviews. 22% uh, know a facility does not get paid under this model and 45% uh, did not know. So we're, that, that has come down. So a little little bit of growth here and folks getting a little more familiar with whether or not they're involved with uh, Medicare Advantage or HCC. So uh, any any commentary on this, um, Brett and or, and or Sonia? It's great to see that there are more people um, in the CDI specialist role full-time and, and um, part-time too. So it's great to see that trend. And also the realizing um, the don't know category that um, going down, that's also really a great trend to see. Um, getting CDI folks involved with HCCs and understanding that bigger picture is really important in this era of population health. So good, good numbers. Absolutely. Have you read any commentary there? Um, it's, it is encouraging to see that growth, I agree. Um, I think it's really important for folks to realize <clears throat> that this is 
not just an ambulatory focus, that this is inpatient and ambulatory. And so it uh, really behooves them to become familiar with the HCC model and uh, where and how it impacts. Great. No, that, that's a good point, Brett, because we did get a question during the show of someone that said, is this the ED only or is it inpatient? And, and it is, as you mentioned, all uh, different settings. Right, exactly. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and switch to our in-the-news um, item. This is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. This was an article I had planned to tackle uh, two weeks ago. We ran out of time. We're going to just do a quick summary of it. I thought it was important enough to share um, really heavy media article, more than we can cover on this show, but definitely tied to uh, an item we're seeing, uh, unfortunately, a, a a larger uh, trend in the in the not just the CDI profession but the entire healthcare industry. So this article is uh, executive uh, leadership and physician well-being nine organizational strategies to promote engagement and reduce burnout. So the article's here. It's by uh, Mayo Clinic Proceedings, very obviously very respectable publication here. Um, the entire article can be viewed here. You can. Uh, click on the different strategies they offer to help address physician burnout, as well as jump to sections uh, in the article. It's, it's very, very uh, user-friendly here. Would encourage you to check it out, but essentially, you know, the, the gist of the article is that the healthcare field is experiencing unprecedented changes that threaten the survival of many healthcare organizations and to successfully navigate these challenges. Uh, healthcare executives need committed and productive physicians working in collaboration with organization leaders. We certainly know this is CDI professionals. And then it states that unfortunately, national studies suggest that at least 50% of U.S. physicians are experiencing professional burnout, indicating that most executives face this challenge with a disillusioned physician workforce. Um, burnout is a syndrome characterized by exhaustion, cynicism, reduced effectiveness, been shown to influence um, quality of care, patient safety, physician turnover, and, and patient satisfaction. Um, so the article does then go on to um, offer nine strategies for addressing physician burnout, some of which have proved successful at the Mayo Clinic. Um, things like acknowledging and assessing the problem, harnessing the power of leadership, developing and implementing targeted interventions, cultivating community at work, um, using rewards and incentives wisely, aligning values with culture. Um, really some great stuff here. You know, not, not all of this is really, it, it may be a little beyond the scope of CDI, like work-life balance, uh, but there are some elements here that I think a CDI uh, program, as someone who really does rely on physicians, obviously that's what the show was about today, you know, getting them to, to document better. The, the article has a lot in here about you know shared responsibility and how that it there there are severe implications for physician burnout. We just talked about a few of them. You know, quality of care, uh, unable to to perform some of the initiatives we need them to perform, and it, and how it is very much a shared responsibility. And and you know I I would and when I say it's shared, it's shared by everybody, including CDI, um, who have their own set of demands for the doctor for for you know, accurate uh, diagnosis and accurate documentation in the record. 
So um, would encourage folks to check this out if, if maybe talk about it with their hospital leadership. Certainly read the article uh, after the program. And as I always do, I will provide a link to that uh, if folks would like to delve further into this piece. Maybe I'll just ask uh, Brent and Sonia, you know, in your travels, work with clients, yeah, have you seen any, I know we're short on time here, but a best practice perhaps, some, someone you may have seen that's doing this very well, has, has a high physician engagement, and, 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 and what did they do to overcome that, um, you know, help, help with the burnout factor? So this hasn't come up a lot in my discussions with clients, but um, <clears throat> I am, I'm a practicing hospitalist, and uh, I can kind of speak to it from my own perspective. I've read a lot of articles on physician burnout. First, I would just like to endorse the article as well. I think you selected a great article. This should be a must-read for C-suite and providers. Um, it's really great at, uh, at coming up with solutions, much more so than any other article I've read. But one of the, as it relates to uh, HCCs and, D, and CDI, you know, really need to make sure that uh, one, one of the areas of frustration is uh, workflow impediments. And so if we can work through those and address those, I think that'd be very meaningful. And I think it would really make the collaboration between CDI and providers um, much more meaningful uh, and efficient uh, so EHR is, is commonly raised as, as that impediment. So uh, where the rubber meets the road, getting it into the record, uh, need to try to work on solutions there. I think that would go a long way. All right. Thanks, Brett. Sure. Any other comments, on you or, or, or Laurie, about the topic? No, definitely agree. The workflow piece is, is key, especially in the ambulatory setting right. where time is tight, whether it's the ED or the physician office, yep. to really figuring out how to put a process in place that um, aligns with what the provider is doing. Absolutely. Yeah, those, the, the time frames you mentioned, those ED interventions are, are small, so um, some some helpful tips there. Again, Mayo Clinic Proceedings, uh, Executive Leadership and Physician Wellbeing. Uh, check it out after the show. All right, we're, we're going to close just briefly here. As you probably saw at the beginning of the program, um, I shared a slide about our, our ACTUS conference coming up in May. This is our 11th annual conference. Our theme is One Thing. Uh, if you're interested in what the One, one Thing is, um, Check out the brochure. It's, I'm, I'm not going to divulge the secret here, but we, we hope you take away one thing. I hope you take away many things from our conference. Uh, one of the many things I wanted to share just today, and, and uh, there's a lot going on at the conference this year. You can see sort of the what's new here on your screen, some of our, our top speakers. We're going to be doing a, um, a lightning round panel at the, at the conference. So this is sort of a, a new um, a new style of session you know a lot of our sessions are, are, are what you'd expect an hour with a, a speaker or two usually about a case study or some process or um, some um, element they want to talk about from their CDI program this is going to be uh, six members of the advisory board um, sharing some quick hit items that in, in really in a lightning round format uh, that'll be led by uh, Dr. James Fee from our advisory board. He's going to be keeping these guys to time. Uh, they're going to be given just eight minutes each to talk about or uh, really have a rapid fire exchange of ideas with the audience on including today's topic, outpatient CDI. And we're going to have someone talk about resident training, CDI incentive plan, 
um, ED-CDI collaboration, again, related to today's topic, and mortality reviews. So um, if you're interested in getting maximum ideas in the shortest amount of time and maybe getting your one thing, uh, you might want to check out our ACTUS Advisory Board panel. Uh, that will be coming up. Again, it's it's listed here in the brochure. If you haven't checked out the brochure, it's available on actus.org. Uh, would encourage you to go ahead and check that out. Um, again, I, after the after the program, I will be providing that uh, link for you. So with that, uh, that's going to do it for today's edition of Actus Radio. Uh, appreciate everyone for joining in. And again, for the, the great question we received from our, our uh, listener that was the genesis for today's program. I want to thank uh, Brett and Tanya for coming on and sharing their expertise. We're going to be back here again in two weeks for a special um, session with our boot camp instructors and some open Q&A that, again, we've, we've received over the years from students and from Actus Radio listeners. That will be on February 28th, 2018. Um, as always, if you have any suggestions or ideas about the format of the show, you know how to reach me. Please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it today. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you back again in two weeks. <laughs>